The scripture comes to us from Matthew chapter 20. The New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 21, the verses 1 through 11, where we have the account of the first Palm Sunday, according to Matthew. To me, a minister should minister on Palm Sunday from the Palm Sunday account I do so. Hear the word of God. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And then our text, especially the last part of it, Matthew 21, verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. We look at verse 10, first at the first part of the verse, a little quickly, and then at the second part of the verse, the question, who is this, in much detail. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Jesus entered from Bethany to the east, going westward toward Jerusalem, a day, a journey of perhaps one half to three quarters of a mile, I estimate, 
my wife Linda and I made that Palm Sunday journey, one Palm Sunday in the 1990s, the first Palm Sunday journey into Jerusalem in some years because the Jews and Arabs were getting along with each other a little better. We're told that the whole city was stirred. About this whole city, some quick questions and answers. Who were present? Many in Jerusalem, including visitors. Many visitors came to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration to take place in the week ahead. What happened? A parade, like the parades for royalty in those days. What were they doing? Putting on a parade for the person riding the donkey, a king. The riding suggested a king entering town the donkey suggested a king coming to do business. A donkey was a work animal and a king coming in peace. Jesus had business to do that Palm Sunday. When did Jesus enter Jerusalem so that the city was stirred? Perhaps in our year 30 or 33, and perhaps about April 1, if the historians who are experts on the subject are right. The whole city was stirred. This stirring is not so much a much ado about nothing. It's a much ado about something. In fact, this much ado about something is the most important week in all of human history, with the most important happening in all of history, with the most important person to ever live, the God-man Jesus Christ, doing the most important work in all of human history, fulfilling Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman who would come, and accomplishing the work of atonement, Yes, indeed, this is much ado about something, more, I'm sure, than the Palm Sunday paraders even began to recognize. And then we're told that the Palm Sunday paraders asked a question. We maybe should note in passing that their question is asked out of respect, not disrespect. They're not asking, who does this fellow think he is anyway? That question would be a put down. Their question is asked in respect. We know about the respect because they placed garments on the donkey. Others placed garments on the path. Jesus was traveling on the donkey. And they asked loudly, Hosanna. The Aramaic word for save unto salvation is hasha. And the pleading or question form of hasha is hosha. 
The Aramaic particle na is a little more than a single English word can convey. Na means please now. And so the crowd is crying out in respect, save please and save now. And the question then arises, who is this? Now, most of them did not get the answer right, or at least not fully right. Many of them wanted an earthly, David-like king to ascend to an earthly throne and to conquer Rome and to lead Judea into a golden age of peace and prosperity. But with that background, they asked, who is this? And we're going to ask the question too and ask in much detail here. When the Palm Sunday paraders asked, who is this? The first answer was, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Okay. Let's begin by asking the question and answering in the simplest way that they answered. Is his name Jesus? Yes, he's Jesus, son of Joseph. What is his address? Nazareth of Galilee. What is his appearance like? He appeared like a typical Judean, Jew or Semite of his times? What is his job? In recent years, an itinerant preacher. What do we know about the facts of his life or his biography? Not all that much. We today know some facts from his infancy, some facts from when he was about age 12, and a few more facts from the last three years or about that of his life during his itinerant ministry. These are the surface questions and answers. But behind these surface questions and answers are other questions and answers that are much, much more deep and profound. We know that because of the fact that they cried out, Hosanna, to one they considered a very special person. And we know that too from the name Jesus. So we're going to press on into those deeper questions. Who is this? I suggest for you that who is this in many ways is the most important question anyone can ask in all of history. I hope you will ask the question with me this Palm Sunday, and I hope that you will answer with me the right way and follow up with the right answers in the right ways you should follow up in your life from those right answers. Maybe we should say, too, as we begin our quest, 
that the question, who is Jesus, has been answered by many people in wrong ways. We'll note some of those wrong answers, too, before we get to the right answer. So, let's move into the question and the answers that have been given. We'll begin with questions that have been asked and answered entirely wrongly. Such answers are sometimes given in liberal churches or the media, or I wouldn't even bother with the questions. But we'll go through these very wrong answers quickly. Is Jesus an imaginary man? When I moved to Iowa in 1985 to become the pastor of the Sully, Iowa Christian Reformed Church, we subscribed to a newspaper, the Des Moines Register. The very first issue I read puffed up a professor of religion at Drake University who said many wrong things, bad things, blasphemous things, really. The main point the professor of religion made was that, in his opinion, Jesus did not even exist. That is, in history, there was no such person as Jesus of Nazareth. How sad. As George Orwell once said, some ideas are so absurd that only an intellectual could believe them. Enough said. Others have said that Jesus is a bad man. Mostly bad in the sense of a liar, schemer, or plotter. The Palm Sunday parade people, even Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees, <laughs> never thought for a minute that Jesus was either imaginary or bad. The Pharisees didn't like Jesus because they were jealous, but they knew he was not a bad man. Many years ago, I read a book by a scholar named Hugh Schofield called The Passover Plot, in which Schofield opined that Jesus and his disciples schemed that last week to make Jesus into the much-expected Jewish Messiah. Again, nonsense, observe, absurd, enough said. Is Jesus a madman? Is he an insane megalomaniac with delusions of grandeur? The Palm Sunday crowd didn't certainly think so. People don't put on a palm parade for a madman. Jesus didn't think so either. Imaginary man, bad man, madman. Enough said about these notions. Or maybe I could add that the late R.C. Sproul calls such notions mere figments or fig newtons of the human imagination. They're no more. They're figments of the unbelieving human mind. So, we can forget them. 
I'm also reminded of George Buttrick, who would, when students told him they didn't believe in Jesus, sit down and ask, describe the Jesus you don't believe in. Who is he? I probably don't believe in him either. And we don't believe at all in Jesus as an imaginary man, a bad man, or a madman. So let's move on and ask again, who is Jesus? And let's ask in some depth. The next set of answers to the question, who is Jesus, are part true, but only partly true. We could say these answers are the truth, but not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Is Jesus a sad man? Yes, sometimes and in some ways. At Lazarus' funeral, shortly before the first Palm Sunday, we read in the Bible's shortest verse, Jesus wept. And in Gethsemane, Jesus was sad, very sad, very, very sad. However, Jesus was not only a sad man, and he certainly was not a disillusioned man. Let me call your attention to one of Jesus' sayings on the cross, a sad saying. On the cross, later in this Palm Sunday week, Passion Week, Jesus would say in his fourth word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've heard some bad sermons on my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sermons that suggested Jesus felt his life purpose was a failure. God was far from him. And he was sad. To such sermons, I would reply this way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is a quote from Psalm 22, verse 1. The Jewish people knew their Old Testaments well. Jesus probably knew Psalm 22 by heart, all of its verses. It's a rather long psalm. The Jews had a way of interpreting that we call remez, meaning implication or the part stands for the whole. We use remez today too. My name is Pastor Joe to many people. But I am also Pastor Reverend Dr. Joseph Allen Brinks, which is the whole. Jesus, in crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is crying out because of hellish agony upon him in those three hours of darkness, not because he considered his life a failure or that his God had left him. In fact, his life was at its most successful 
when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's exactly why he came into this world to suffer that hellish agony. And if we want to know who Jesus is at the end of his life, we don't look to the noontime cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We look to the 3 p.m. cries after the three hours darkness. When Jesus said with a loud voice, it is finished. Much was finished in that darkness. And then after it is finished, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I say what I just said to make the point that Jesus was a sad man, but not a disillusioned man. By way of reminder, we're talking about Jesus, who he is, and answering with answers that are true, but only partly true. Another question, is Jesus a good man? The answer is yes, in the sense of sinless, the one and only sinless person who ever lived. But we have to be a little bit careful here. There is a theory of the atonement out there dating way back to the 1100s that says that Jesus was our example, a good man. That theory of the atonement ignores too much. It ignores that Jesus was also the God-man and that Jesus was better than good, a sinless man, the only one who ever lived, and that Jesus made atonement for sinners, something sinners can't do for themselves. So is Jesus a good man? Yes, but more. To the question of our text, who is this, we ask next, is Jesus a good example? An example for us of love and living up to ideals? The answer to that question is yes, though much more. Jesus is an example of Christian love, genuinely caring and being concerned for others. In John 13, we read he loved his own to the end. And then we read he washed feet and said, I give you an example that you should do as I have done for you, John 13, 15. We too should love others. As said before, Christians have notably done so in times of plague. Is Jesus a good example of someone who lived up to his life purpose? Yes. As already said, his life purpose did not fail with his force saying on the cross, but succeeded completely. Now here's another version of this Jesus as a good man and good example theory. 
Is Jesus a positive thinker whom we should emulate with positive thinking? That's very popular these days, positive thinking. Yes, Jesus was a positive thinker many times in many places, in many circumstances. In fact, Jesus recommended faith, and not only little faith, but great faith and mountain-moving faith. We're challenged to be positive thinkers in the sense of having great faith and mountain-moving faith. We don't want to move big hills and mountains like the mountains of Colorado. But we, with positive faith and positive thinking, can, with God's help, remove the mountains of our lives. But to these questions, is Jesus a good man, a good example, and a positive thinker? We must also answer that Jesus is more. C.S. Lewis explained it best in talking about Jesus as liar, lunatic, or Lord. Lewis ex explained, if Jesus were only a good man, well, Jesus would also be a liar because Jesus claimed to be the God-man and fooled more people in human history with his lie than anyone else. And if someone is a liar who deceives more people in human history than anyone else, then he's not really a good man. He's a bad man because he's a liar. C.S. Lewis explained that the only options before us about Jesus are Lord. He's liar, lunatic, or Lord. And so we set aside the answers to the question of our text, who is Jesus, which say Jesus is good man, good example, and positive thinker, as true, but only partly true. Now, we come to the question again and the most important answer that there are. The question, as we've said repeatedly, and you know by now, I think is the most important question anyone can ask is, who is this? The right answer is found in more than one word. The right answer is found in the names of Jesus. He's Jesus Christ, the Lord. And in giving the right answers to the question, who is Jesus? We are also challenged to give the right response to those questions. So let's answer who is Jesus and talk about how to respond to who Jesus is. He's first of all, Jesus. The people in the Palm Sunday parade had his name, Jesus, right. 
And they sort of understood what the name Jesus meant, even though they only partially understood. Matthew 1.21 tells us, She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Maybe in these days of COVID-19, we can understand Jesus Savior better than before COVID-19. With COVID-19, we are all seeking to be saved from a disease, from a plague. That's us today. In Jesus' time, they sought salvation from slavery to Rome. We seek salvation from a plague. But some of those who get the plague we're told 2 to 5%, percentage uncertain because we're not even sure how many get the plague with no symptoms. We're told a certain percentage who get the plague die. And then the implicit question arises, is there salvation from something more serious than sickness? And the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> And Jesus' Savior means Jesus came to save from something more than slavery to Rome and something more than sickness and plague. Jesus came to save, if I may sort of invent a little phrase here, from a sin of virus that causes eternal death in humankind. Jesus came to save from our highest need for salvation, our biggest need for salvation, our need to be saved from sin, death, and hell, to salvation, righteousness, and heaven. Such is the message we do well to understand this Palm Sunday. And such is the, uh, the salvation we do well to focus on in Passion Week, Holy Week, this coming week. The question becomes, is Jesus your Savior? Is he my Savior? Are we saved from sin, death, and hell to life, righteousness, and heaven? I hope you can answer that question, yes. Believe, put your trust in Jesus for salvation. A famous Bible text says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now maybe some of you say, and I know too many people say this, I do enough good works and I have a good attitude, so I'll be okay before God if I ever face God someday. Not so, my dear friends. Our good works are not enough. Our good attitude is not enough. Our being nice people 
is not enough. Jesus told a parable about nice people once, the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought their good works would save them. Here's what Jesus said. A Pharisee said, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I have. That was pride and good works. And then the next verse has Jesus saying, but a tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Dear friends, we must not expect our goodness to save us. Jesus' sinless goodness saves us. We must be humble enough to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Also, maybe some among us, and there are fewer of these these days, would say, I'm too bad to be saved really a bad person. God can save bad people, my friends. The Bible tells us of a prodigal son, a son who engaged in much excess and also much sin. That prodigal son, after his excess and sin, repented, and these are the words the Bible tells us about him. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your sin. Son, make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But the father said, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate so also there's celebration in heaven when people who think they're extra bad repent of their sins. My dear friends, he's Jesus' Savior. Believe. Again, the question of our text is, who is this? He's also Jesus' Messiah, Christ. Messiah or Christ may be a little harder for us to understand these days. The people in the Palm Sunday Parade did understand Messiah. Messiah fever would be rampant among them, especially at Passover, and we're at the beginning of Passover week on Palm Sunday. We read earlier in the Gospel of John that the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Messiah means anointed one, literally, and by implication, able to save. Jesus is Messiah. Perhaps we in our days of COVID-19 can understand Messiah. Right now, the 
COVID-19 saving efforts are directed toward minimal coming down with the plague so we don't overwhelm hospitals and doctors. But at the same time already, the medical researchers are searching for a cure, a, well, shall we say something like a snake, anti-venom, anything they can find that would cure COVID-19. They're looking for a vaccine or anything else. Jesus is the vaccine against sin. That's sort of what Messiah means. He's able to save because he is the God-man. The God-man can save, and that's like a vaccine against a disease, except that I almost understate it. Jesus, the vaccine against sin, is so much more than any vaccine against any bacteria or virus. So how should we respond to Jesus Christ? The Heidelberg Catechism tells us in Lord's Day 12, it asks, but why are you called a Christian? The answer is, because by faith I am a member of in a member of Christ. That means being in Christ who can do for us what we can't do, like a vaccine that could stop COVID-19, or maybe like a car that can go faster than we can walk or run keep us warmer than we can on a cold day or air-conditioned on a hot day. Continuing the quotation, and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess. That means make a confession of faith. The Bible says if we believe in our hearts and confess with our lips, we will be saved. Christianity is not a Lone Ranger thing in the sense of we're our only Christian with no other need for church or fellowship or a do-it-yourself thing in the sense of I in my heart between me and God. The Bible says we begin becoming a Christian by believing in our hearts but then confessing before God's people in a church. Continuing the answer again, confessing his name to present myself to him, a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. That's conduct. In Christ, confession and conduct. We practice Christian conduct not to save ourselves but because we're saved. And then the answer goes on and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. Matthew 21, 10 again, who is this man? He's Jesus Christ and lastly, he's Lord. 
The Palm Sunday paraders understood lordship all too well. Rome lorded it over them in many negative ways, tax collecting, forcing Roman religion on them, and on and on. They supposedly were to make some kind of <clears throat> a sacrifice to Caesar as Lord once a year with a pinch of incense and a statement, Caesar is Lord. The Jews happily got exemption from this rule, but not the Christians. And lordship became the big issue of New Testament times. The early Christians faced a situation in which they had to make the pinch of incense to Caesar, and they had to say Caesar is Lord. They wouldn't do so, and that's how they got in trouble. Listen to two texts. One, 1 Corinthians 16.22, King James, and then the same New International. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha, the King James. Anathema means accursed. Maranatha means the Lord is coming. And so the New International Version translates, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. 1 Corinthians 16, 22 is saying Jesus is Christ, Jesus' Savior, Christ, able one to save, and Lord, ruler. And so to conclude, the Palm Sunday question for us this year is, is Jesus our Savior? Is he also our Christ? And is he also our Lord? Please think on such things this week, this week. And please appreciate Jesus the more, Palm Sunday this year. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, they asked it, Palm Sunday, who is Jesus? And the answer is very deep and very profound. Thank you for this time of being able to reflect on the simple, the deep, the profound answers to who is Jesus. Thank you for this hour of worship. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.